The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. Welcome to the Crossman Conversation, CEO edition, offering insights, wisdom, and counsel from the most respected CEOs. Here is the host of the Crossman Conversation, CEO edition, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. Uh, today, I've got a, a regular guest back with me, Dr. Josh Harris, who is the managing partner of the Lakemont Group. Dr. Harris, always great to see you, my man. It's a pleasure as always, John. Listen, the topic I want you to talk about today is private equity, um, and there's two main reasons why I want to talk about it. Number one is a lot of our listeners are college students, yep. and so uh, and I'll have students tell me that they're interested in private equity, and then I'll say, well, what is private equity? And they go, I don't know. It just sounds really cool, I think, you know, like... <laughs> And then we obviously we have CEOs and other business leaders that are listening as well. So could you start with, uh, first off, like just define what is private equity? Let's start with that. Just define what is private equity. John, it's a great question. And I, I was thinking about, yeah, all those college students, I think they heard somewhere private equity. Well, it sounds cool because private, it must be secretive and cool. Right. And equity, that must be like money. And well, I've yeah. heard that you make really huge salaries and you can get really rich with it. So they're just interested, right? Private equity is a term that, like a lot of these fancy terms, it doesn't have really an official definition, except that it kind of tells you what it's not. And it means it's not public. So it's not a publicly traded REIT or a company that has to deal with all the regulations. So the most common definition that I think those students mean, and I think out of all the listening audience probably believes is private equity, is essentially private investment money, meaning that there is private capital from high net worth individuals, family offices, sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, that have been given to an investment manager who is managing it on their behalf, investing in everything from equities of uh, privately held companies, which can be large, down to real estate and other essentially things that you just can't buy on the stock market and you're not going to get walking into your Fidelity office. You know, so one of the reasons why I asked the question is because uh, it's kind of what I do, Josh. <laughs> Technically, you are private equity. Yeah, you that, are both private and investing equity, John. Yeah, <laughs> no, so I, I, I am the definition. So it's funny when I ask students, they don't always click that, that they're talking to one, right? Yes. <laughs> um, I have a thought on this, but like when I ask you first, like why do you think this is bigger now than it used to be? You know, like when I was coming out of the business, like you didn't hear much of this at all. Yeah, well, well, there's a few reasons for that, especially in the real estate context. So it used to just be if you owned a building, you were just in real estate, you just owned a building. It wasn't like you needed to really characterize it. And people began to realize that, wow, real estate's a pretty cool investment. So more and more people wanted to get into it. And then there became this whole business. Really, it should be called investment management. But I think because investment management makes people think like stockbrokers, right. they use more private equity is the term. But really, that's what they're doing is they are investing and managing it on behalf of the people that actually have the money. That's really what is meant in that. And I think that it became, so that, that's one thing is, is that business of being a institutional asset manager for um, what's sometimes called the alternative investment space of which private equity and real estate sits. Well, that became a whole industry. So suddenly all these big companies like literally Blackstone, who is probably the most famous private equity company, they became the larger, the largest private equity company and largely on real estate. And I think when they bought out equity office properties, one of Sam Zell's regions, I believe it was 2007, mm-hmm. that's like whoa, who is this company? They're taking the largest public company buyout ever since, since I think they go all the way back to the, um, the buyout by KKR of um, RGR Nabisco. I got you know, profile in that book, uh, The Barbarians at the Gate. Right. And they're all of a sudden, they're buying this huge, all these offices in this huge REIT. 
who are these people? And that's when really everyone said, wow, private equity must be powerful. Look at this. Look what they're doing. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because I think that real estate as an investment vehicle is appealing to a lot of people, like the average person who's looking to invest. The concept of it isn't appealing, but the, the barriers to entry are kind of high, right? So, you know, if you simply uh, own a home and you're like, I'm going to buy a second home and rent it out, mm-hmm. even that is how do you know what you're buying sure. as the right thing? And then, of course, then it's like, then you're you're doing maintenance work and you're, you know, and some people have the skill set for that and some people don't. Right. So if you take that to a notch higher and mm-hmm. you're like, well, okay, I want to buy, you know, I want to spend seven figures on a, you know, commercial asset or eight figures, like, well, that gets to be a whole different enchilada and right. And so, and then the mis- mistakes on that can be very painful, you oh, know, huge. And that's why I think increasingly there's been a, there's a broad recognition against a, a sort of across all the various pools of large money, what we sometimes call the allocators or Sometimes they're called the limited partners. All that's kind of an odd, not very artful phrase, but you know, it's said out in the world. And so really that skilled manager, i.e. the private equity manager who, and that's, yeah, and that's why the students want to work for them because they can make good, you know, they obviously um, have great financial potential. Well, that's because they make huge value, right? If so, if you are, you know, a, a huge pension fund or even a small family office, you're, well, I want to invest with a strong manager. I want to know someone who really knows these assets, right. knows how to find them knows how to manage them, knows how to create value in them. And that when people realize, wait a minute, if I'm, if I invest with a good manager, I'm going to get great returns in that industry to find the best managers and to really, you know, be able to bring those services, you know, to these various pools of wealth that are just, I mean, truly global now. Well, that's become a huge industry because it's candidly been so successful. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I think for me, and I, I have a very small investment group, right? So it's not, you know, they could all fit in this room. It's not, right. it's not a big group. But I do think for them, you know, the fact that they can come see me in my office and, you know, and then we can go look at deals together, that probably brings a lot of, you know, safety and security oh, for, for that, sure. right? So like I'm, I'm invested too, so that helps out. On the, back on the deal side, it's funny because I, I always have like this stack of, you know, deals that are in the queue, right? And there's right. like maybe 10 and we're trying to get, now when I took, but to get to that 10 in the queue, dude, I've looked at <laughs> 50 or a hundred or something like that. And I look at a lot of garbage. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I look at and I'm like, I don't even know what this is. I, I saw a dilapidated mall in the middle of nowhere and I'm using the term mall loosely. I think it could be purchased for $15 a square foot purchased for $15 a square foot. And I wouldn't recommend it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, you know, there, so there's stuff like that. So it's like, you have to look at that. Once I get in that queue where I have it, then it's like, we're always trying to roll to have, you know, three to four in our contract in that space. But man, there are so many things that blow up deals oh, yeah. all the time. And so, you know, you have to have the confidence in your own team. Then you have to have the confidence communicating with who you're buying mm-hmm. from. And then you have to like completely manage that process. And then you got to run it. And it's, it's all pretty complicated, right? Very much. And, you know, the acquisition, I mean, acquisitions, which is the sort of the fancy technical term, right? I mean, specializing in that or working in that field is a complete field unto itself and actually sourcing deals. You have to underwrite them, analyze the deals. Then of course, actually negotiate the deals. You have to manage that whole due diligence process, arrange financing, then close. Right. And I mean, it's not like going, it's not like going to your supermarket and, you know, getting a whole chicken or something like that and walking out the door. Right. I mean, it is a complicated step and that's candidly that, you know, because it's a profession, you really do need companies and people, whether, whether it's a small group of right. yourself and two people 
or a large, you know, a large firm, I mean, that is something that, that adds a lot of value. Right. And it's, you look, it's also, um, sector, you know, so specific, like yep. if it's industrial office, I mean, there's so many different languages, you know, language and terminology oh. things. I listen, it was, you know, a long time ago, maybe 15 years ago, there was a family office and they ramped up in whatever business and they sold and had a big slug of cash and they bought a public anchor shopping center and uh, the Publix then went dark, which is just so rare. That's a, yep. by the numbers, it's a very rare thing to happen. And we were running the 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 the, the property portion of the property. And uh, man, these guys would call me all the time, kind of freaking out. It wasn't my job. It wasn't part of my world, but it was just mm-hmm. we we're slightly connected. And I just remember thinking, like, they clearly never talked to Publix. They'd never been to Lakeland. Like there was no relationship, and they didn't talk and have anybody on their team that knew somebody. And it was, it, you could feel the stress of this family who mm-hmm. thought they bought something that was bulletproof and it was not. John, yeah. you know, as you're, as you're telling that story, it actually reminds me one of the sort of the most important principles, especially in real estate, but any deals that, you know, you also got to watch for that winner's curse, meaning that sometimes there's a reason somebody is selling something. That's right. And you have to be able to figure that out and, you know, be careful what, and that's why, you know, they look for that buyer who doesn't know what was going on. And I mean, I'm not trying to say that that seller necessarily was unethical, but you know, it's a call to buyers beware yeah. world for a reason. That's why you got to have a really good team that know, like knows exactly what you're saying. No, that's, that's a fair point. I, I didn't really think about it because I wasn't involved in that transaction, but just reality of that. Um, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to keep this conversation going about private equity. A lot more to uh, talk about. Sounds great. All right. We're going to take a quick break and be back here at the Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. Managing a team that has a lack of accountability and effective communication can be frustrating. Bill Roto-Rooter can help you build a cohesive team and a collaborative work environment. As a retired commander of the Navy's premier training system and research development organization, Roto has the experience to help you build trust and a high-performing team as you navigate high-pressure situations. To schedule a complimentary call with Roto, go to rotospeaks.com and complete the form and put the Crossman conversation in the message field. Here's a call to those who want to make an impact on their company, their community, or who possess a desire to make the world a better place. Crossman Career Builders provides the tools and resources for you or your company to make a difference on some of the toughest issues that we all face. Crossman Career Builders partners with CEOs, politicians, and pastors seeking to address problems of racism, mental health, addiction, justice, and suicide. CrossmanCB.com. At JLL, we are reshaping the future of real estate for a better world. For over 250 years, our firm has remained committed to offering trusted and innovative solutions in commercial real estate leasing, management, investment strategies, and technology. JLL.com. See a brighter way. Once again, here's John Crossman. All right, we're back here with Dr. Josh Harris, the managing partner of the Lakemont Group. And Dr. Harris, we were talking about private equity and how, you know, I remember how we started this conversation was I made the comment about students saying they're interested in it. And I thought your response on that was, was excellent. When students are saying they're interested in working in private equity, so what some of them are saying is they want to work for Blackstone. That's the appeal. It's like a big, huge corporation that's if you doing you knew this. nothing else, you know to work for Blackstone. That's sort of right. the joke in, in the real estate uh, academic world. Yeah. So that's where, that's where you would want to, want to work. Gotcha. And then, but then there's a spectrum, right? Because mm-hmm. then you, that answer also could be working for me sure. or it could be working, you know, and the delta between me and Blackstone is, you know, <laughs> the Grand Canyon plus the moon plus the stars kind of thing. <laughs> but, but for a student that, that there's is a broad spectrum of that. 
Correct. Correct. Right. And it's actually a point that it sometimes it takes a little bit to get this across where they have to meet somebody to kind of you know get the context. But I mean, people know about Blackstone just because they kind of have an allure to them. Maybe they can name KKR or Apollo. There's a couple of these firms and they're almost always headquartered in New York. And so if I said, all right, name the top 10, maybe someone can name three. But the reality is the top 200 are actually pretty big. And then you can get regional and local. And John, you mentioned like what you're working on. I mean, there's always a specialty, especially in real estate. I mean, the difference with, say, with a hedge fund or something, you know, all the stocks that are publicly traded, they're all known. And you could really be sitting anywhere with a Bloomberg terminal and kind of candidly have about as equal access as the next person. That doesn't work that way in real estate. You actually have to you know, drive those locations, have have some geographic knowledge, have some product level knowledge, talk about knowing the tenants, knowing the actual users to it. So real estate, you know, I've, I mean, I've had some uh, clients in small towns in, you know, smaller states that I never thought I'd visit in my life and come in, you know, they're running like they're a real operation and yeah. all these things going on. And candidly, I could, I could cross those things. You know, I could meet a new one of those every single day mm-hmm. and they're all very legit. And like, if you're a student, they're great places to work. They will treat you a lot better than black. So maybe won't pay you quite as much, but you're going to love your life. And candidly, they're doing great deals. And you know, can I tell you something? Can I tell you a dirty little secret? Mm. Those principals and all they're, they're making great money. They're very wealthy. Their clients are super wealthy and they are, I mean, they're really doing a great business and that kind of exists everywhere. Listen, uh, another one of regular guests in the show is John Michael Holtman. He's based in Jackson, Mississippi. He's exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, real deal player doing stuff, smaller market, Yep. but, uh, but it still, it still well, applies. Well, think about real estate, you know, you know, do you know that people want to live in high quality apartments and shop at, at grocery stores and they need to work in offices and go to medical office and have you know car dealerships, industrial lots everywhere in America, not just in the top 20 cities. There's there's opportunity everywhere because real estate is ubiquitous. Yeah. Well, you go back to on the uh, that buyer beware statement is a really interesting one because you know, we have purchased from very well-known companies who have yours a very well-known broker and everybody came at a, at a winner. Like right. it was time for them to sell. Yep. They made money selling to us. And then we're taking the property to another step and, you know, we're mm-hmm. doing great with it. And it was great buying from them because the, all, all the dots, you know, everything was, right. you know, like they, everything was connected and made sense. You know, when we look at stuff that's sometimes, you know, messy, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Trimble Crow used to say, maybe there's a pony in that pile. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I've seen set experiences where like when it's messy, Sometimes really bad news comes up, you know, um, we had a deal we bought and we found out the previous owner was doing probably some little inappropriate stuff with the vendors. And so we've had some vendor issues and so we had to deal with that. Uh, but sometimes it's the opposite that you find out, oh, the the rent was a lot high. The rent should be higher than they sure. were charging. Right. Yeah. So in those situations, like sometimes the poor behavior of the, of the seller is a benefit to a buyer. Right. Oh, so it, it goes across the board, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, a lot of times you have owners that either they lose interest or can't, they don't have the capitalization. And, and what you get to is this whole continuum of potential strategy. So the phraseology that they use in the private equity space, you have the core deals, which are like sort of the super secure. That'd be your public's anchored center that's basically 100% leased. There's the core plus where you maybe use a little bit more debt or maybe get some releasing. Then you get the value add and the opportunistic. When you're describing is that value add and opportunistic. That's where a new owner bringing new capital, new ideas, better management comes in. They often have to do retenanting. Sometimes they have to do some physical rehab. Uh, development kind of sits into that optimist, you know, opportunistic 
space too. And, you know, candidly, yeah, there's more risk, but there's a much higher return because this is all, you know, it all trades on a risk return spectrum. Well, it's all, it's interesting. And you know, the perspective of students are listening, when you said that the owner might not be well capitalized, like what you're saying there is that if you ever go buy a property and it looks kind of crummy and you're like, why don't they do something? Yeah. Well, they may not have the money. You might think, well, they own an office building. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they have the extra mm-hmm. money in the budget to clean something or fix That's something. That's right. Or it could be that you know, it could just be a disjointed ownership group. You could have two or three partners or, you know, four or five, something to do with these syndicates that could have like 10, 20 people. So in theory, or not, not in theory, it's actually in practice. If you want to do a major uh, capital project, you have to raise money and get the agreement of all those number of partners. Well, it doesn't take more than one or two to not want to stick any more money in there or to cause a problem or just candidly, it just causes it to be mentally challenging. It's where the owner says, you know what, let's just sell this thing. Somebody else can, and they know they're leaving money on the table. I mean, they, they openly know like I just, my management group, I just can't get this organized. I might as well go ahead and, and, you know, let it move along and then do something more productive with my, the rest of my business. So going back to private equity, um, so it sounds like it's, it tends to be more nimble. Um, there's a lot more uh, flexibility. Uh, there can be more opportunities in that space. Uh, but on the other side, because it's uh, not public, it's, it doesn't have that structure, right? And so maybe it doesn't have that transparency, I guess, at some level, right? So, so I'm trying to be like, there yeah. are positive and minuses, well, sure. right? And, well, this is why if you're going to be, look, if you were to be an investor into the private equity space, you really have to vet the manager, know who the manager is, make sure that they have the, you know their own internal processes from reporting, just you know good ethical guidelines that determine how they manage conflicts of interest. So you 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 don't have sort of this um, the SEC or Finra, which are the regulators of the of all the things that are in the public space. Like if you go buy, I bet you if you go down and bought a mutual fund, John, you probably don't even know who the manager is of that mutual right, fund. Right. I couldn't name the ones that I own. Right. But if you were to be investing in a private equity fund you're going to know who that manager is because you want to make sure that they have all the skill and diligence. And, and that is something that makes it for the, for the investors and the groups, you know, especially a high net worth individual. You, it is good to have um, professional representation to kind of, you know, just know who you're talking to. Cause look, the real world, there are shysters out there. Oh my gosh. They are out there and they are not going away. Yeah. No, I kind of see that. I see crazy kind of all the times. Right. And again, when you're on the buy side, trying to make sure that it's priced mm-hmm. right. Yep. Um, and then you're also trying to think through every single thing that could possibly go wrong. You know, my brain, I'm always looking at stuff going like, uh, in the worst case scenario, you know, what would happen here? Uh, in the best case scenario, this other thing, Mm -hmm. but maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Sometimes when I look at a deal that I always describe, it's like, you know, the cake has to be fully baked with everything possibly to perfection. Actually, everything happens. Everything's perfect. But if the slightest little thing happens, you're in a world of hurt, right? Yep. And so that's what I was coming back to, you know. You know, John, it's an interesting point you say that because I, one of the, sometimes I think the disadvantages of the very large funds, the big sort of New York ones, you know, they, those groups have um, insanely large overhead, right? All those salaries the students want, they don't, they have to come from somewhere and they get a lot of pressure to do deals. And that's actually sometimes, the, sometimes the disadvantage of being large. Yeah. Now, listen, I've, I've thought about that because the people have said to me, once you just raise a bunch of capital, but that's where you get pressure and you don't want that kind of pressure yep. deals. Josh, this has been very helpful. I uh, hope to help our listeners about what is private equity, and uh, I always appreciate the wisdom you, you bring. So thanks for being a guest. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Crossmark Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services, including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing, and property management. 
Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you. That's CrossmarkServices.com. At JLL, we are reshaping the future of real estate for a better world. For over 250 years, our firm has remained committed to offering trusted and innovative solutions in commercial real estate leasing, management, investment strategies, and technology. JLL.com. See a brighter way. As the largest property tax practice in North America, Ryan's professionals possess the local footprint and knowledge, backed by a team with national expertise to help organizations minimize their property tax liabilities and ensure valuations are fair and accurate. With the Florida tax appeal deadlines approaching rapidly, local experts at Ryan work proactively with many jurisdictions across Florida well in advance of the August trim notice mailing to ensure our clients receive maximum tax savings. Guys, I use Ryan, and I hope you will too. Once again, here's John Crossman. We're back here uh, with Mike. Hey, my friend. How you doing there, buddy? I'm all right. Listen, uh, Dr. Josh Air is always... A pleasure to have him, and because I always say this, he's the best combination of ac- academic wisdom and practical application. Now, that's a, a really important combination, isn't it? Right. Well, because when he gives the answer, there's like a, a technical answer that you, yeah. you would have on the exam, like A, B, C, D, right? Yeah. I always and, get the feeling I'm in a college class, and I'm worried. Yeah, listen, I'm worried that the pop quiz is about to happen. I, uh, <laughs> I did a panel one time where one of my college professors was on it. And um, then he asked me a question in front of the audience, and I immediately had the anxiety I had yeah. back in college, oh, right? Yeah. So like, no, no, I mean, it's, there's an intimidation factor there. And so, you know, he has that, but when he then brings it over to the practical, apical side, and even like when he was saying, why would a student be appealing to this, why be appealing, and then breaking that down, and then giving the broad spectrum. That's what I like about like uh, the pluses and minuses, and why do private equity versus being for a public REIT. Mm-hmm. That was really helpful. It really was. It, it was interesting for me because I'm a reader of the current stuff going on, and I hear about Blackstone all the time. And sometimes it's in positive terms, and sometimes it's not as positive as you'd like to think in terms of what the, they're also into in addition to the, the regular business items like that. But kids are out there. They're hearing this term. It's one of the bigger companies around, right? Yeah. Well, I think there's a, and there's a broad spectrum. Apollo, actually, another big, huge company. And so those are awesome places to have careers. And I think, you know, Josh is trying to say, hey, there's also companies like my buddy, John Michael Holtman's, which is smaller and a smaller market, mm-hmm. but also doing the similar things and has some similar success. Yeah. Right. So there's a broad spectrum. And if you're an investor, like if you're listening to this, you're an investor, you can pick and choose who you can partner with. Yeah. You can be like, you know what? I want to partner with a, a smaller boutique firm or I want to partner with a big, huge firm. And and then make decisions in between there. Yeah. Right? A lot of the people you deal with are really kind of aiming, is this not true, for that real estate side of being commercial real estate? Yeah. All, all our stuff is commercial. And so, you know, we do uh, we do predominantly retail. We've doing retail and office. Um, we've done some mixed use. We've got, you know, but some industrial. I mean, so we can do it all. It's just a bent towards retail because that's my mm-hmm. focus. Um, but we're always looking for the right opportunity. And of course, it's funny, Mike, a big part of what I look at is I want it close because I want to go look at it. <laughs> you know, when we had the last big hurricane come through, as soon as the all clear happened, I physically myself visited all the properties. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if an investor had called me and say, hey, what's going on with this one? I'm like, well, I was just there an hour ago. Everything looks great. 
right? That's a big deal, right? And you know that your your managing partner is out there on the property themselves with boots on, walking through the retention ponds to make sure they're not overflowing. That's really a great point, right? Yeah. Like, like, well, that's what you want to know. It's like, yeah. hey, these people are in here. They they care and they're you know they're about it. And yeah, you know, a lot of times we all experience whether it's service in a restaurant or someplace we go, people seem to be checked out and don't care. When you're working with people that are passionate and they care, that that's a big difference, yeah, right? It really does. And you know the whole thing about uh, real estate, young people in colleges and getting involved in this, they they have an opportunity to learn what real world business is like yeah. when it comes to real estate. Well, yeah, I think it's, one of the most fascinating things, Mike, is that if you are a college student, you major in management, it's not like that you manage day one, right? Like yeah. it's not like you're actually doing the thing. Uh, but in real estate, people get degrees in real estate. They actually can do the applicable work day one. Yeah. Um, and that on the official analysis side of it, which is pretty cool. I thought so. Josh's comment about the fact that it doesn't just take big cities to have nice opportunities for people. Yeah. Uh, you can, everyone everywhere wants to live in a nice apartment, like he said. Yeah, and, look, and, and, and if you've got a market that's, uh, it's growing, and even if it's like safely stable, you know, like if you're some in the middle, middle America, it's a college town and then college is set, you know, it's like, you may not hit like a smoking home run, but you'd have some good deals that happen, yeah, right? And so, right. again, you just got to have to go back to your opera. All right, Mike, as always, pleasure being with you, buddy. It's been fun, man. All right, until next time, this has been the Crossman Conversation, the CEO edition. This has been the Crossman Conversation, CEO edition, with your host, John Crossman. Tune in next week for another talk with an experienced CEO that will help bring clarity to your business endeavors. The preceding was a Mark Radio production.